0: As God's word is expounded, we pray that these messages are a blessing to you.
1: Dear friends, last time we saw that God's grace is a sovereign power that always effectually saves those to whom it is given, and that it is given to God's own only. Now today we ask the question, Do the scriptures give us any more detail as to how this grace works in one of God's own, saving them? And the answer is that the scriptures do. Though that is the right answer that the scriptures do, we do have to be cautious here. There's mystery. The canons of Dort wisely point that out to us saying that the manner of the operation of this irresistible grace cannot be fully comprehended in this life. There are mysteries here, and we must leave them to be mysteries. But there are things that we can say, and say with confidence. In fact, the teaching of the Lord Christ himself gives us great help here. First of all, the Lord teaches, in the rest of the scriptures too, that this irresistible grace when it comes to save one of God's own, begins to save them by a work, a first work in them called regeneration, or new birth, or being born again. A work where the Holy Spirit takes the life of the glorified Christ and plants it into a man so that They are born anew with a new life, a spiritual life within, a life that they did not have before, a life that breaks the dominion of sin over them, a life out of which will come all the rest of our Christian existence. The Holy Spirit plants this life within us without our even knowing it at first. We only know it when we see the effects of it. We don't see the work Itself, We only see the effects of that work later. In that way, it's kind of like the wind, as the Lord Jesus points out to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He begins that teaching in verse 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Man is so depraved, he's so blinded, enslaved by sin, that unless he's born again with this new life, he can't even see the kingdom of God. Well, how is a man born again? A few verses later, the Lord explains. Verse 8, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and that is, it blows where it wants, and thou hearest the sound thereof, the effect of it, but thou canst not tell whence it cometh or whither it goeth so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Just like the wind blows where it wants, when it wants, and you can't do anything to stop it or to control it, so the Spirit goes forth into the hearts of His own and brings new life. And nobody knows it. Nobody knows from whence He came and where He's going. You don't know when He's going to do it. You don't know who He's going to do it in. But when He does it for one of God's elect, He does it. And nothing can hold the Spirit back from doing so. He's powerful, like the wind is powerful. And it's only when you hear the sound of it. It's only when you see the effects, the spiritual life coming out of that new life within, that you see that it's happened, that it's there. In John 1, verses 12 and 13, there is an addition to the Lord's teaching about regeneration. John 1, verses 12 and 13 But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, that is, to those that believe on his name. So those who receive him are those who believe on his name. And those who receive him and believe on his name are the ones who he gives the power to become the sons of God. But now how, word of God, do those receive him? How do they believe in him? And the answer is given in the very next verse, verse 13. Which were born, which were previously born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but which were born of God. So that the receiving him, the believing in him, is an effect. And the source of that effect is this new life. For they were previously born again of God. You don't believe first and then become born again. You must be born again first, regenerated first, and only then does a person have the spiritual life within to believe on him. And even the being born again we're taught here is not something that man decides to do. He can't. He's enslaved to sin. Notice the negatives in verse 13. Which were previously born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man. They were born again, not merely of blood, not merely because they were born in the right place physically. And they weren't born again either because they have willed to be so, because they have decided to let the Spirit regenerate them, which were born not of the will of man, but which were born again of the will of God. God decides, and God does it, by the Spirit irresistibly he goes in overcomes the natural no of every elect but depraved person and grants a rebirth but by regeneration by having that seed of new life within God's own are not yet consciously living out of that new spiritual life within them they are not actively, consciously repenting of their sins and resting in Jesus Christ and walking with him day by day. That requires a second work. There is, therefore, the scriptures teach, a second, irresistibly gracious work of the Spirit that comes after the planting of that new life within, whereby the Spirit draws out of that new spiritual life planted in us. This life that, that spreads within us in our mind and consciousness so that we actively repent and believe. That second work is called the effectual call. The effectual call, or the spirit now using the word of God that comes to us, rides upon that word and works in the heart and mind of the elect and now born again person and irresistibly calls them to conscious repentance and faith for the first time or for the thousandth time. The Lord Jesus teaches us about that work too in John 6, verse 44. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. No one is able to come to Christ, to have faith in Christ, says Jesus, except they are irresistibly drawn, consciously drawn, by a gracious work of my Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. The word draw there, no man can come to me except the Father draw him. That word draw does not mean woo him. Sometimes you'll hear Arminians say that. that That word means woo. Except my Father woos him. God woos people to come to Christ and some heed that woo and others don't. Not an irresistible drawing of them, but something you do from the outside only. You woo them. Not a power that goes inside and draws them. God ever stays outside a person, Arminianism says, and tries to attract them, woo them, come and, come and take this, but it's always still up to them. But the Greek word draw does not mean to woo. It never does. Not once in Scripture, and it doesn't here. The word means to irresistibly draw, to irresistibly accomplish, overcoming all opposition. It's draw like a man draws water from a well, pulling a bucket up to the surface. He doesn't woo the water to come up to the surface. He draws it. The same word is used in Acts 21 verse 30 to refer to the mob of Jews in the temple dragging Paul out of the temple. Acts 21 verse 30 And all the city was moved and the people ran together and they took Paul and drew him out of the temple. The mob, of course, didn't stand on the edge of the temple and and woo Paul to come out of the temple. I didn't say, Paul, we're not going to force you, but we'd really like you, we want to advise you, we're trying to persuade you. No, they they forcibly arrested Paul. They overcame his resistance to it and they drew him out of the temple and there was nothing that Paul could do about it. So too, the Lord Jesus says, no one can come to me except the Spirit given of the Father, sovereignly, irresistibly, Draw someone to me powerfully from the inside. Except the Spirit overcomes all resistance of the old man like that mob overcame the resistance of the apostle. The Spirit doesn't do that work, of course, dragging people to Christ, kicking and screaming who don't want to come to Christ. He does it by drawing them irresistibly in the sense of changing their resistance. He makes them want to come he powerfully works in them a desire to come to Him. He uses the Word of God preached, the Word of God that teaches things about who this God is, about who they are, and about what sin is, and about what faith is, and who Christ is. And He calls through that Word, and the Spirit rides that Word and call into the heart and draws new life out of that seed of regeneration that's in and He draws that new life into the mind so that it mixes with the Word into the mind so that they're consciously affected by that Word. New qualities are infused into the will by that Spirit drawing that life out of that seed so that now a man wants to, he can't but. He's thrown down within. Consciously repents of his sins and rests in Christ so has the grace of God brought him to himself. But that's not the end of irresistible grace. It's not only in regeneration and then second in effectual calling that the Spirit works salvation in us by an irresistible grace. In every af- aspect of salvation, after that too, it's all a work of irresistible grace, justification, sanctification throughout our lives, preservation, glorification, all is a work of sovereign, irresistible grace. There's a wonderful phrase in John 1 that speaks about this. John 1 verse 16, And of His fullness have all we received and grace for grace, of His fullness, Christ's fullness, of everything that He earned for us upon His cross. He's full of all the blessings of salvation now. And out of that fullness have all we received. How? By grace. Grace for grace. Waves of grace that keep going one after the other. One replacing the other. Grace comes to the child of God like tidal waves from a tsunami, irresistible in power and force, and also one wave after another. One wave crashes, and shortly behind it, there's another wave that comes and takes its place, and another and another, so that the fullness of what that tsunami has comes in wave for wave. Grace for grace, the text is saying, irresistible grace in one wave and regeneration an effectual calling another, and wave upon wave of grace after that, one replacing the other in our lives, that the fullness of salvation comes into us, waves upon waves of irresistible grace, to sanctify us, slowly but surely overcoming our old man of sin, so that we grow in holiness at the exact pace that God has determined wave upon wave of irresistible grace preserving us. When our old man would walk away when we're like a dog off its leash trying to get away from our master, but waves of grace come along and attach that leash again and draw us back. When we die, irresistible grace is not even finished. It's irresistible grace that purifies our souls. At the moment of death, as the soul rises to heaven overcoming once and for all all the sin that is in our souls so that we might be fit in our soul for heavenly glory with God. And even when Christ comes back at the end and raises our bodies to join our souls, it's an irresistible grace that will transform that body and make it like to the glorious heavenly body of Christ. Nothing, not even the decay, will be able to stop the power of that irresistible grace on our bodies. And even after that, when we're in heaven and glorified body and soul together, it will still be irresistible grace that preserves us in that state forever and ever and ever, time unending. From beginning to never ending, it is sovereign power, effectual, irresistible grace that saves And though I can preach that now and we can grasp something of that right now and the glory of God who saves us that way right now, it's not going to be until we get to heaven when that fullness of grace has accomplished all of its work and all sin is removed from us and we're able to see with such clear eyes that we'll be able to look back upon our life and really understand fully what Sovereign Grace has done for us. And brothers and sisters, we're going to be overwhelmed, absolutely overwhelmed, at what Grace has done for us wretched, rebellious, dust creatures. We are now already, of course we are now, but in that day we're going to see it so much more clearly we'll be able to look back and see that every second of our lives there was wave upon wave, another wave of grace and another wave of grace that preserved, that kept. We'll be able to look back to the beginning of our spiritual existence and see so clearly that if we're raised in a covenant home, we'll see grace given to us from our earliest days likely. If we weren't, we're taken out of an unbelieving or weak home. God who carved me out of the mass of humanity unto Himself from all eternity used this irresistible grace to give me new life, to bring the Word to draw me to His side. We'll see waves and waves of grace crashing into our hearts and lives one after the other, preserving us, preserving us of it began early, preserving us in those teenage years when there were crossroads in our life, when Satan attacked so strong. And it was grace that kept me. Grace, every day after that, when Satan launched his attacks upon us, God's Word, written by the Spirit of Christ, was brought home to our souls giving us the strength to keep from despair, to keep from temptation. We'll see that grace was what enabled us to carry the load of trials and difficulties that even though when we were experiencing, it didn't feel like there was so much grace there, there was heaviness upon us, but we'll be able to look back and see waves upon waves, every moment of, of grace upon us. When the pain and sorrow was so great and we said, I don't know how I can carry on with this, Lord, We'll see that the Spirit came and said, "You can't." But here, here's another wave and more waves every day, every moment of grace to sustain you, my child. We'll see it so clearly that every second it was grace, all grace. And can you imagine how that will fuel our praise of Him? Then, all our salvation will come home to us with such clarity. And we'll see then that all of it from predestination to glorification was not only of an irresistible grace, but was of an irresistible grace to bring us to the praise of the glory of His grace. And all eternity will not be long enough to give Him that praise for grace. Oh, what marvelous, loving, merciful, sovereign, sweet, irresistible grace! Start singing of it now, child of God, and never, ever stop for time unending. Father in heaven, we're thankful for grace. To thee be praise for it. We can see it now, Father, we can. By thy spirit, even by an irresistible grace, we can see it. And How much more then? But what we see, we praise thee for overwhelmed, by Thy graciousness to us who are so undeserving. Preserve and keep us every day forward until the fullness of life comes home to us in Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray, amen.
0: The gospel message you have just heard was sponsored by the Protestant Reformed Churches through its radio program, The Reformed Witness Hour. We hope that you have been edified and encouraged by this message. If you would like more information about the Reformed faith or the Protestant Reformed churches, feel free to visit our website at reformedwitnesshour.org or email us at mail at reformedwitnesshour.org.